From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. Thank you for tuning in. You have picked a great episode to listen to. I guess I have to say, if you were a pay-per-view promoter or a ticket salesperson or something like that, you might refer to this episode as two titans of time management or two powerhouses of productivity. At least I hope that you might say that um, because I get a chance to sit down and talk with Greg McEwen, the author of Essentialism, a huge bestseller, uh, radically changing the productivity world. And I'm sure you have heard about it. It's been a, a long time coming for Greg and I to coordinate calendars, and we finally locked up in sync here a couple weeks ago and got it on the calendar, got it recording, and it was a chance for me to ask him questions about his book and his philosophy. I've, uh, of course, read his book. I've seen him speak and uh, followed him a bit online and um, respect him very, very much and think he has a powerful message. And so I'm excited to bring that message to you today. And I'm just, I'm so thrilled that you have stumbled your way over here to the Action Catalyst podcast, that you found this episode and that you're listening to us uh, discuss because we're going to obviously have him share some of his philosophies. And then after the show, like always, I'm going to do a debrief and I'm going to share with you some of what I think are the overlays of terms of his philosophy and some of the things that we talk about at Southwestern Consulting. Or uh, Greg is just really, really brilliant. I think you're going to love him. He has a great accent, so he's fun to listen to and uh, just really one of the prolific thinkers of our day, I think, uh, and he is emerging as such right now. So it's a great episode. Uh, we are excited to have you. I think you're going to enjoy it. It should be stimulating, and hopefully it will help you create more margin and peace in your life. Thanks for listening. Let's get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one -on -one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one -on -one business action planning session with a Southwestern coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. I am inspired by thinkers, and the man that you are about to meet is one of, I think, the premier thinkers uh, out there on the planet today. He is a very popular uh, journalist and blogger and writer for the Harvard Business Review. And his book, I'm sure you have probably heard of, it's called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Um, I loved the book, just honored and excited to introduce you to Greg McEwen, uh, a smart guy, and he's going to talk to us about essentialism, the disciplined pursuit of less. So Greg, thanks for being here. Uh, it's my pleasure to be with you. <laughs> so um, for those that don't know, to just jump right in, can you give us the, the core premise of essentialism and, and what it's all about? 
to give you a summarization of, uh, of essentialism, summarization, I'm not even sure is a word, of essentialism <laughs> is, uh, is summation, I think is the word I was looking for. Summation. I, have to, I have to first talk about non-essentialism. I've got to talk about what the problem is. The problem of our times is that we have been conned by an idea. And the idea is that we sh- should be able to do it all. And if we can do it all, uh, then we can have it all. And this is a very persuasive idea, and it's really not delivered on its promise. Uh, Instead of giving us it all, as it's supposed to do, it actually leaves us stretched too thin at work or at home, Mm -hmm. uh, busy but not productive, uh, you know, saying yes and then resenting it afterwards, having our lives hijacked by other people's agenda, being exhausted, overworked, and underutilized. So we've been sold a bill of goods. We don't even have a name normally for what this problem is, but the the name I give to it is non-essentialism. That's it. Mm-hmm. It is an idea. It's been promulgated and sold and sold in a, a million different ways, in magazines, in conversation, and all of that. And it's not true. It has the inconvenience of being a lie. And the antidote to this uh, disease uh, is, is essentialism or the disciplined pursuit of less but better. Mm. Uh, and that's what essentialism is. Your title, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, or the subtitle, spoke so much to me. And I just, as soon as I saw that, I just thought that is so strong and it is so, it's so good. So, so why, why do you think we have this problem saying no, Greg? Cause that's kind of what it is, right? Is like, we go, okay, well, if I can, I can do it all, then I can have it all. But then it, I mean, a big part of essentialism is, is essentially saying no, which is a struggle. Why do you think that's such a struggle? Well, it's a struggle because we've been conned into be, into be believing uh, that the way to success is to say yes to everyone and everything. Uh, in fact, uh, there was somebody who was uh, interviewed uh, for the book, an executive who had done award-winning work, superbly became successful. He's capable, he's driven, he got focused on the right idea, and partially because of his success, that company was was purchased by a larger, and as it turns out, more bureaucratic firms. So they go into the new organization. He's the same level of talent as he was before, of course, but now he's keen to be a team player, a good citizen of the new regime, which means he starts saying yes to everyone and everything without really thinking about it. Now, it's not out of bad motives. He wants to be helpful. He wants to be useful. But what happens as he applies that strategy, that idea, what happens? Uh, What happens to his stress? It goes up. What happens to the quality of his work? goes down. He's so frustrated, he gets to the point, he thinks, look, maybe I should retire. Maybe I should quit. Maybe I should get out of this organization. And then somebody gives him some counterintuitive advice, which I think applies to a lot of people. He said, said, what you should do is retire in role, which is interesting idea. What does it mean? Um, Means, uh, doesn't mean quit, stay, and don't tell anybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, there's not, not an employer in the world who wants anybody like that, and they have probably more than they wish they did. So it's not that. So what does it mean? It means imagine you were going to be paid for the value you create. 
You know, employers employers want people who are contributing to re- moving the needle that actually create value, not by how busy they are. And so this is his new mindset. So he approaches it. What happens? Uh, he says, I got my life back. Uh, personally, he was able to uh, go to the gym every night, eat dinner with his wife. He, he, he was able to negotiate a, a world that, that allowed him to be healthy and to recuperate and be energized, which meant that when he came to work in the morning, he was able to discern better what was essential, what was not. He got space back at work. And he said, in that space, I found my creative freedom. And in that creative freedom, I found my ability to contribute again. What happens to a stress goes down. What happens to the quality of his work goes up. What happens by the end of the year? His performance evaluation ratings have skyrocketed up. And he ends that year with one of the largest bonuses of his whole career. Mm. I, I, a story I, like that. Go I, ahead. No. Well, I, the word, one of the words that you said in there, which I think is a powerful word, is negotiate. Um, negotiating a schedule. And that idea, I mean, I love the concept of being paid for the value, right? And that's, that's one of the things that rich people do. They choose to be paid for their results, not for their time. Um, and they're not paid for the the quantity of tasks they complete, but the but the the significance of them and the results that they create. Um, but when you talk about negotiating, I, I think you know the the I think your title and the book and the concept speak so directly to what people are struggling with, right? Like we all have this problem of being overcommitted. But how, so how do you know what to say no to? How do you know what to negotiate? Because you got to negotiate something out of your life. Is there any sort of like process that you go through that you go, okay, these, the, this is what it counts as essential, and this is what does not count as essential? Well, let me let me just let me just address something there for a moment. I, I didn't write a book called Noism. Mm. I, I wrote a book called Essentialism, and the difference makes all the difference. The, the key to living life as an essentialist is not just to begin saying no to everyone and everything without thinking about it. I, I'm not advocating that at all. I'm advocating figure out what is essential. First and foremost, you must figure out what is important now. And then you have the right and the source of courage to negotiate the non-essentials because you have a valid reason to be able to say. So, for example, if if I go through a process of figuring out what is the, let's say, the most important uh, contribution I can make over the next 90 days. I get really clear. This is my essential intent. This is the thing that will be most valuable to my most important customer and deliver something that is actually important that moves the needle. Okay, let's say I've done that. And then even that same customer comes to me, internal customer, maybe it's my boss or even my boss's boss comes to me and says, look, I'd like you to take on this project. Now, of course, it seems unthinkable just unthinkable to people, laughable, that I should say no to that. That's like a career-limiting move. Of Mm. course you don't say no. Of course you don't. And I'm not even really saying you say no either. But I am saying that if you have figured out something that's even more valuable, it is a perfectly reasonable response to say, yes, look, I'm very willing to do that. And I think I could do a pretty good job at that. But let me just at least discuss with you that that means taking energy and resources away from this initiative that I think helps your agenda even more. And so suddenly what you've done is you've brought the reality of trade-offs, which are always there and ever present, but often Mm -hmm. ignored to the fore. 
now you can have a conversation about it. And, and I've had people do that. I mean, I have somebody right now who's working on a really important initiative for me. And every time I have one of these spontaneous moments of, hey, listen, will you, this is a good idea. Will you just do this? Because I have this event coming up and I would love you just to, that would really help me. And he always says yes. And he always, mm. adds the, he always adds the trade-off. Oh, I'm very happy to do that. But do you want me to push back the deadline for this big project that, that, that I'm working on for you? And mm. I always say no, because I always want that real thing delivered. That's way more valuable to me. And so I, I'm just saying that is a way, of course, to respectfully and in a savvy, organizational savvy way uh, to negotiate these things. And it's really important for the organizational health that people can do this. It's really important for helping your most important internal customer, even if that's your boss's boss, like I'm saying, that you help them achieve their most important and valuable agenda. That's important to them as well. And so learning how to figure out what their agenda is, to put in language that is relevant to them, meaning in terms of their agenda, what it is you think your highest contribution to them would be is an essential skill if you want to be recognized as an important, valuable member of their of their. Uh, extended uh, extended team if you want to go beyond being a uh, an order taker and become a trusted advisor to them you must learn how to do this mm. uh, that is such a powerful idea i love the idea of you always say yes but you just basically you're saying yes but you're going to articulate even to your boss what the trade off is and out of and out of that you allow them to choose in a, in a role where you're working with somebody who's like your superior, you're allowing them to dictate what the what the what the priority is. Yes, um, and, without saying no. And you can also start to become really, um, you you can become really skilled at doing this. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you a story that really grabs me. And everybody knows that Steve Jobs is sort of famous for saying no to a hundred things or a thousand things in order to say yes to one great thing. And that. I, I don't mean to minimize that. I think that is totally true, and it's it is it is evidently was true in the way that he approached things and was important. And it's all very well him being the CEO and the founder, you know, you know that he was able to do that. But what I like even more is a story of someone who said no to Steve Jobs and lived to tell the tale. Mm. Uh, now, this is after Steve had left Apple and was starting next, and he wanted a great logo because Apple obviously already had a great logo, and he wanted a great logo for his next initiative. And so he brought in the top logoist, arguably in the, the whole country, uh, Paul Rand. And uh, Paul Rand had designed ABC's logo and Bloomingdale's logo and a whole bunch of iconic logos that, that we all recognize so he comes in, and they have their first meeting, and, and Steve starts to explain how the relationship will work. He says, you're going to come up with a bunch of options for me, and, uh, and I'm going to tell you which ones I like and give you feedback and which you use my taste and so on. And Paul listens to all of this, and finally he just says, uh, he says, no. <laughs> he, uh. says, uh, he says, I will solve your problem for you completely. I will solve your problem for you. Mm. And I will deliver you one logo and you will pay me. That's how it works with me. Wow. And, uh, and Steve listens to all this and finally he goes, okay, done. We're going to do it. We'll try this. He trusted him. 
believed that he had the capability to do it. He said after the experience, he said, he said Rand delivered to him a jewel of a logo and added this, which is, I think, the most important part of this story. He said Paul Rand was the ultimate professional because he had thought through how to create value for me more deeply, more thoughtfully than I had. That is the key. That's the difference between noism and essentialism. This, he had thought through it. He knows how to do this. He actually has that capability. He realizes there's a better way to do it. He's able to push for it, advocate for it, and he's able to deliver tremendous value because of pursuing the thing that he knows is actually most valuable for Steve Jobs. That, that to me, is the, is the kind of negotiation. Maybe that's even blunter, that story, than, than we could get away with in the short term in our lives. But, but it still illustrates the idea that I'm not advocating for being less helpful, being more selfish. I'm saying, what is the very best way you can serve? What's the highest contribution you can make? And making sure that your energy, time, resources, creativity, initiative, all of that is being brought to bear on the most valuable things you can do and not on a bunch of good things. The phrase, I will solve your problem completely. I mean, that is just speaking to that you know, the highest contribution that you can make. And it's kind of that idea, like, you know, if you're moving, one of the ways that we can move from this busy work to essentialism effectively is realizing, you know, it's like, we're not paid to do tasks. We're not paid for time. We're not, our job isn't to complete a bunch of trivial stuff. It's to solve problems completely. I love that's such a good story, Greg. I love that story. Um, I, I don't think I'd ever, I don't think I've ever heard that story before. Um, and, uh, if I did, I forgot it and it didn't come as, as powerful as that right there. So uh, coming back to, to this, because I, less, but better, I think is a, is the core core message. And that was one of the questions is how do you do less, but better if you work for somebody else? Um, and I think I think you have covered that. So do you – But I can jump in, in, in on that still. I can give one more illustration of this because this was a personal example that happened. Okay. Okay, go for is, it. Which is I had um, – I was, I was in a, a, a situation where my, um, you know, my boss uh, had come to me and was asking me to – you know, I already was working on two or three big projects and they came to me with another – big project. And they say, look, you know, uh, I'd love you to take the, the reins on this. I think this would be something that'd be right in your wheelhouse. And you'd enjoy doing it. And, and all of those things were true. But I also recognized that if I was to take this on, then I would end up doing sort of averagely well, or even decently well, all of the things. And that's what I suddenly just put to them. I said, look, I am happy to do this. But the consequences, I'll do them all sort of averagely well. Or, or I'll just do good in all of them. But I'm wondering if there's one of these projects that's really valuable to you that would be more important and that I could focus entirely my energies on that item. And, uh, and as it turns out, you know, they went away and thought about it. They came back and they were like, actually, this one project is so much more valuable than anything else. That's what we really want you to do. And so they, they, they took everything else off my plate and gave it to somebody else. So I could do the really the thing that they really wanted to deliver. And I did deliver it. And I, it's obvious to everybody involved that it couldn't have been done uh, in the way that it was done. It couldn't have broken through to the next level 
if I'd been doing all of those different projects. So it's just another example of bringing the same idea to the table. It's it's having a conversation about what the trade-offs are that ought to be made. And that's always reasonable. It's, it's close to always. And there's a way to do that that's very respectful, that's not insubordinate. Uh, and uh, and getting skilled at how to do that. I mean, there's a there's a whole chapter in the book about how to how to give a graceful no. Uh, and so there's a lot of examples of beyond what we're saying now of how to do this in a way that's as as wise and savvy as possible. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of what you do is you're teaching people how to negotiate trade offs and how to speak and think in terms of what is the trade-off and that having that long-term perspective of what you're going to say no to as a result of saying yes to something else kind of creates that power to be able to say no. Um, so I want to come back to this question about, um, cause I don't, I don't feel like you, I don't feel like you covered this in the book cause I don't necessarily think, I think the power of, of what you're talking about is just the disciplined pursuit of less, less, but better, but I'm just kind of curious in your own personal mind in terms of is there any sort of scoring system or or diagnostic tool or any process or or calculation that you go through to determine what what is the thing that matters? Like what is the thing that is important or do you kind of just intuitively no, this is the most important thing. And so I need to, I need to pursue that and, and try to focus on that and find ways to say no or, or, you know, delegate to this other stuff to other people. Do you have a process for determining what is the thing that is the thing you should do? We have to start with a metaphor. I want you to think about your closet and, uh, you know, what happens to our closets? Uh, we, uh, you know, if you don't have some system in place, a way of doing it, if you, if you, if you live your, if you manage your closet in a default way, what happens to it? Uh, too many clothes, mm-hmm. messy, old clothes, messy, old clothes, yeah. can't find anything. Uh, it's, that is the undisciplined pursuit of more as it applies to closets. There's stuff mm-hmm. in it. There's just loads of stuff in it. Right. And then people stand there and they can't find, Oh, I got nothing to wear. And yet the whole closet full of stuff. And sometimes they think, oh, I need a larger closet. And if I had a larger closet, mm. that would solve the problem. And until they get a larger closet, and then they realize that was not the problem. Uh, <laughs> they were, they themselves were at both scenes of this crime. Uh, they, 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 it's them. There's something going on inside of them. So that's, <coughs> excuse me. In fact, in fact, let's go a little further with that metaphor. So you see, so eventually, Somebody says, I've had enough. I'm going to tidy out my closet. And they take an item off the shelf and they look at it. And in that moment, something mysterious seems to happen as they're looking at that item of clothing, something. And you think, well, you know, it might come back into fashion at some point. <laughs> it, might, it might fit me again at some point. I might have an event that calls forth for just this such a thing. I've not worn it in a year, but maybe there'll be a moment and then I'll wish I had it. And, and so what happens to that item? It goes back on the shelf. Now, let's just pause and think about what criteria is being used in this scenario. What criteria is being, what, in order to decide whether we keep it or not? It's the world's broadest criteria, which is this. 
could I ever possibly use this in the future? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Well, the answer to that question, no matter what the item of clothing, is almost certainly yes. the, the, The result is we keep everything. Now, what if we shifted? What if we used extreme criteria? What if we said, like Marie Kondo suggests in her book, uh, the, uh, the life-changing magic of tidying up. She says we ought to ask the question with our closets of each item, does it spark joy? And if it mm. doesn't spark joy, then we get rid of it. So mm-hmm. that is the short, I mean, we're not talking about closets. We're talking about the closet of our lives. And that is one key idea for how we figure out what's essential in the first place is we have to, we, we, we've got to shift from broad criteria like, well, someone asked me to do it. I mean, we mm-hmm. do stuff because somebody asked us to do it. That's our criteria. Well, they asked us, so I do it. Or even like, hey, I just thought about it, so I do it. Uh, or, hey, it's a good thing, so I do it. Mm-hmm. Those are all the criteria of non-essentialism. How about this? Can I do it? Yeah, sure, I can do it. Is it possible that I could fit this in if I tried to wiggle it enough? Could I figure it? Yeah, you you probably could. So then we say yes to way, way too many things. But let's take an extreme criteria. Not Does it spark joy? Although it's not a bad question uh, to ask in our lives. But what if we ask this question? Is this the very best use of me? Is this my highest contribution? Is this the best thing? that I could be doing with my time? Is this the most important thing? And these are more extreme criteria questions. And the answer to these questions starts to, immediately we start to say, oh no, that is not, this is not the best use of me. Uh, what, what, what's important now? This is another question. So by changing these questions from very broad questions that will provide us with yes to almost everything, we start to get answers that will say no to almost everything. I mean, it, it's this way. Uh, um, Sivers uh, said it this way. Uh, Dave Sivers, and, and excuse me, it's not, it's not the most polite phrase, but it's, it's a great one-liner. He says, it's no more yes. It's either hell yeah or no. Mm. Mm. That, and that's the idea. No more yes. No more, well, sure. I call it in the book, I call it the 90% rule which is that we don't want – often we're saying, yeah, of course, if something's like a terrible thing, right, it would only get a 5%. Actually, sometimes people still saying yes, but, but maybe that's easier to say no to or easier to realize we don't want to be doing it. But when something becomes a 50% or 60% yes, then we, we go, well, I suppose I should do it. It's good. It's good. 70% yes. What about an 80% yes? I mean that's hard to say no to. An 80% yes might be something that we really wanted to do a year ago, but now we realize is not actually so valuable to us or shouldn't, we shouldn't commit to it anymore. So, so that's an 80% yes, and I'm suggesting we say no to everything but 90% or above. If we can elect to, if it's something within our control, we should be saying, mm-hmm. look, I only have a very limited little amount of time, energy, and resources available for me to select to use or not to, to use this day. Therefore, I want to use it on the things that I know really matter most. That's what I want to achieve. And so that's the 90% rule. I love it. I love it, Greg. And you can tell you're just, you're speaking with so much passion and clarity. This is, this is your message for the world. And 
uh, we're inspired and, and, uh, thank you for this message. Where do you want people to go to connect with you? Oh, I think they could just go to, uh, just the website, gregbecuen.com. There's a, there's a newsletter that we put out, uh, that, uh, uh, can help people carry on with the conversation. So I would just go to gregmcewen.com. Mm-hmm. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's M-C-K-E-O-W-N, everybody. And Greg, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this important message and for deciding to spend some of your time with us. We appreciate it so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye for now. What a great message for the world, and hopefully a great message for you. My guess is that that is a message that you are needing. If you're like me, you feel overwhelmed and uh, just behind so often and just spread so thin, and you're not alone in that, I don't think. I think it's pretty much the way of the world these days, and I just really appreciate and value, and obviously lots of other people do too, what, what Greg is saying. And I think, you know, I want to just go back and highlight some of the points that were high for me. And the first thing that um, I really want to say is this is a great example of the significance calculation. I, I love when, when, when he is talking about, um, like, the reality of trade-offs and the idea that you, you have to always be asking, by saying yes to one thing, you have to realize that anytime you say yes to one thing, you are simultaneously saying no to an infinite number of others. And so the question is, or, or the strength to say no comes from being rooted in the reality of realizing by saying yes to this, what am I saying no to? That's the significance calculation. It's it's thinking longer term. While it's easier to say yes right now, you have to you have to forecast out into the future and realize what is the impact though if I say yes uh, now. What is that going to cause me to say no to? And I loved the example he was using the illustration with his boss. And I get this question a lot from people: is they say, "Well, what if what if I'm not the boss? What if my boss is asking me to do stuff?" And I think he nailed that and really covered that point well about you know it's it's not noism that's it's not just saying no in fact the way that he couched it which i appreciate was you say yes you say sure yeah i can do that for you but let's just dialogue a little bit because if i do this it's going to pull away time and energy and resources from this other thing and that is that's basically demonstrating the significance calculation the long-term impact of a shift in focus and it's so powerful for for you and for your for your boss or your team or your or your leader and so i really i really loved that i was a bit disappointed um just let down i guess um you know i was trying to ask him about the question how do you determine what is essential how, and do you have a system for that and it's it it's not really in the book although i do i love what he said about the extreme criteria I do love that, uh, that it's not, it's, you, you, you have to be more extreme. You can't just say, oh, well, can I do it? Or, um, you know, is it a good idea? Or just because someone asked me, should I do it? And I love the metaphor of the closet, right? That was brilliant. And I, I don't think that was in the book. I don't remember reading that. Maybe it was. Um, I, I read the book a while back, but um, I thought that was so good that, you know, you think, oh, I just need more time. I just need more, I just need, uh, you know, I need a bigger closet. And yet it's it's not really that. It's more about how are you using the space that you have. I, I thought that was was really good in, in having some of those those questions. Um, 
about is this the very best use of me? I think that's very much in alignment with what we talk about uh, in pop that the the your highest value to others is to be your highest self is to do the thing that nobody else can do um, and to do in in our case what we would talk about is the thing that multiplies time the thing that you spend time on today that gives you more time tomorrow or more results tomorrow would be how you multiply time so I was just kind of hoping that he might have a little bit more in, just in his personal life a little bit more of a a system for identifying what does he say yes to and what does he say no to. Uh, you know, for example, like he agreed to come on the podcast, which of course I was flattered and I think it's awesome and I'm, I, I think it's great and it'll be worth his time. He's going to reach a lot of people by being here. But I just wonder a little bit if, if there's more in his unconscious about what he calculates or what he helps uh, organizations see what they should say yes to and what they should say no to. But I love the idea of the 90% rule. I love what he was saying about it's not either yes or no. It's either hell yes or it's no. There's there's no time for, yeah, okay. It's It's got to be a, a certain, in order for us to do it today, it's like we have to be absolutely convicted. And he did give some really good things around like um, that extreme criteria, right? Is this the very best use of me. Um, I still, I struggle, you know, and I say I'm disappointed, not because I'm disappointed in Greg, or I think that, you know, he didn't deliver. I think he delivered so much, and hopefully you do too. I I just love it, and um, I just, I'm struggling and always trying to figure out a better way of determining what to say yes to and what to say say no to, and, and I'm trying to, to figure that out, and I think there's lots of things that are a pretty high use of me and what happens when you have two of those, right? Like what happens when you have two activities that both meet the 90% rule? Because I, I there's a lot of really incredible opportunity and the more successful you become, the more amazing opportunities that are in front of you. And that is something that is really that I struggle with like and I think our company Southwestern Consulting is struggling with because we're growing so fast that we have all of these things we could be doing to improve and we're learning so much um so anyways, I think the extreme criteria is something that we can we can add and adapt into our life. I think about it, you know, when you go shopping where it, we don't just say you know, does this, like if we're shopping for clothes, you can't just say, does this look good on me? That's broad criteria, as I think Greg would define it. Um, you have to say, you know, does this make me look amazing? So it's not, do I like it? It's, can I live without it? And I think that is a is a really positive strategy for uh, helping you eliminate stuff. And, um, and I think, you know, the focus funnel, I think essentialism really is, the in-depth exploration of the first of the five steps in the focus funnel, which is eliminate, is is how do you know how do we say no and 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 being okay saying no or just focusing and and finding being disciplined about pursuing less uh, less but better as as he says. Um, so I thought some of that was really good, and the thing that really hit me as Greg was talking and. I'm just learning and listening to him, was I think there's a huge problem with organizations today and with leaders that leaders are just delegating a bunch of a bunch of tasks for people to do. And I think I think a lot of times people just we we have so many good ideas. It's like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. We should do that. And then somebody has to do it. And oh, we should do that. Or oh, we got this piece of customer feedback and we should do that. And and it's 
it's really frustrating, and it can be frustrating because you go suddenly you've got a, a hundred great ideas that you're trying to do, or you've got a hundred good ideas that you're trying to do, and it's good and well-intentioned that you're doing a hundred good things, but yet it's distracting and it's diluting the power of focusing on the one great thing, the one you know, real multiplier, the one thing that can, can, can exponentially change everything. And I think that is something that leaders need to do a better job of, of not just saying, oh, that's a good idea. Let's give that a task to somebody or let's create a team to do that. But that the leader really needs to be strict and, and relentless and rigorous in saying, okay, just because we can do that, should we do that? Because it is hard. Once the leader decides this is something we should do, they start pushing it down the organization. They're creating more and more work for everybody. And I think it's just, you know, it's a struggle because I have found that leaders always have more good ideas than there is manpower to implement those ideas. And so there's so much value at the leader level of going, okay, is this really going to multiply our results? Is this really going to multiply our time? Is this really going to create exponential growth, not just a linear minor improvement? And and I think a lazy leader is somebody who doesn't do that critical thinking. A lazy leader just says, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. And then they give it to somebody. Um, and that is a level of laziness that I think is more and more common in organizations today. And because leaders are so overwhelmed, there's so much coming at them. There's so much opportunity and so much tasks and so much volume and so much communication that leaders just eventually get into this mode of like, okay, you know, let's do this, delegate, 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 without ever running it through that critical filter. And I think I'm more convicted now, even after talking with Greg one-on-one, that, that the, f- the focus funnel is tremendously valuable, is helping you kind of sort through and ask those questions, is this even worth doing? You know, can I live without it? Which is basically the eliminate question. And then if it does pass that, then you run it through the automate, delegate, and the procrastinate filter to really even, before it's got to cross through, not only does it have to cross through those extre- that, that first extreme criteria, which is can we live without this, but it, even after it does, then it has to cross through three other filters, the automate filter, the delegate filter, and then the procrastinate filter, which is, okay, this must be done, but must it be done right now? And I think that, that adds a little bit to it. But to me, the, 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 the most powerful insight from that whole interview was the story he was telling about the logo designer interacting with Steve Jobs, where he said, no... This is, I am not going to provide you several logos. What I will do is I will solve your problem completely. I will solve your problem for you completely. And that, to me, is the, is the core. That's the essence of what we're trying to get to. It's being paid for the value that you create. It's not just that we're completing tasks and we're checking things off but it's that we're actually solving problems. We're actually creating value. We are improving things. And I know at least for me in my life, that is what I I have to be filtering uh, for is 
okay, there's all of these things vying for attention. There's all of these things that are good ideas. There's all of these things that we can be doing, but really going, what is the most valuable? Literally, which activity is the one that creates the most value or solves the biggest problem or remedies the greatest pain? And it's hard because I think it, you become, the better you get, at doing this, the better you get at focusing and eliminating and specifying, the more fire you come under because there's more people that you're more and more people and more and more things that are are being told no at the compromise and at the negotiation of saying this is the multiplier, this is the essential. And that is hard. And it and it actually I think you become I don't know, but it, it kind of seems like you become more and more under fire the more that you do that. So that is tough. But if your result if you're doing that correctly, then your results will speak for themselves. And you will be creating value, you'll be creating opportunity, you'll be creating wealth for people around you, for your organization, you'll be creating productivity, you'll be creating margin, you'll be creating results, and the results really speak for themselves. But that is what we want to do, right? Like, we want to not just be task completers, we want to not just be checklisters, we want to not just be these people who cross things off because we can do it and and we don't want to we if you're a leader you certainly don't want to be someone who's just like delegating every idea that you have we want to be people who are critical thinkers who are challenging the value and the use of our time and the use of our resources and the use of our team's talents and the use of our team's resources and ultimately we want to be solving problems and it, that is the disciplined pursuit of less, which I think Greg so eloquently and concisely captures it. The disciplined pursuit of less. It is finding what matters, finding what multiplies. So this week, be a critical thinker, challenge yourself, eliminate, make the significance calculation, think longer term, and really, really boil it down to what are the th what are the tasks that will solve problems that will multiply time and that will create value well that about wraps up the action catalyst podcast for this week if you haven't yet please log into whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that really helps us out If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst, and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.